Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, we had a great uh, worship night on Wednesday night. Uh, how many of you came out for that? And there was, uh, you know, so, so I was praying uh, that, that day, I was just praying, just praying in, in, in the Holy Spirit. And you know, when you pray in the Spirit, it's easy to hear God's voice. And so I'm praying, and I just felt like we were supposed to uh, fill up the baptismal tanks. And uh, so I'm like, okay, well, we haven't announced it or anything like that. And so we just, in faith, we just filled up the baptismal tank. And, uh, and then that night, just gave a real simple appeal for anybody that would want to be baptized and five people ended up saying, hey, I want to be baptized right now. So it was awesome. If you were there and you got baptized, could you just raise your hand wherever you're at? Awesome, awesome, awesome. So great. So great. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn anywhere you want because it's a free country. But I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9. I assume if you're turning there, you still have all your fingers from 4th of July. No major accidents or anything like that, hopefully. <laughs> uh, interesting fact, actually, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a history buff, as you guys may have gathered from last week's message. If you enjoyed that, some of the, the facts on the, 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 the Christian foundation uh, of our nation, uh, I gave a talk on that last week and just kind of cited a bunch of really, really interesting facts and tied it all together. We're going to be putting that on our YouTube page, so you guys would be more than welcome to be able to check that out and go back and review. I had so many people asking me for notes and facts and figures on it. I said, hey, we'll just we'll post it. Uh, you can go on there and just pause it anytime you want. Um, but an interesting fact, so last, last week obviously was the 4th of July, uh, which was a a holiday. It was a holy day. It was a holiday, national holiday. There was the 4th of July and then there was Christmas, and those were the two national holidays in our nation for quite some time. Um, but a fun fact of today, July 11th in 1955, President Eisenhower actually signed the bill that required the inscription, In God We Trust, on our money. Uh, so that's kind of an incredible thing. That was back in 1955. But we're in the middle of a series uh, that we titled All In. And we're taking a look at what it looks like to go all in, like some of the people like Kellen and Stephen and some others that went all in for Jesus on Wednesday night and were baptized. Uh, we're taking a look at the life of Jesus, uh, the disciples that followed after him. What does that look like? What does the Bible say? And so we're, we're taking a look at that. And, and part of this uh, sermon series was really birthed out of a out of a burden that I felt as a pastor. Um, I've I've seen I've been around the block for a while. I've been serving in a church, pastoring in some capacity for about twenty years, and uh, and my my burden was this that there was such an emphasis in the church as a whole that would get people to buy into Christianity. I just pray this prayer uh, without really telling them what a sold out lifestyle looks like. And Jesus doesn't want you to pray a prayer and become a convert to Christianity. Uh, you actually won't find that in the Bible. What you will find is he would say, repent, the kingdom is at hand. In fact, when he first started preaching, if you want to go back and look at his early messages, it just simply said, Jesus began preaching, the kingdom of heaven is near, repent. That was his message when he started, okay? And that message continues today. And so, so we, we've placed an emphasis, my burden is this, that we've placed an emphasis on getting people to buy in 
that we haven't really encouraged them what it looks like to be a sold-out follower of Christ, what it really means to lay your life down, to pick up your cross and follow him daily. And, and, and not that it's like this, this heavy burden that we carry every single day, but it's actually a delight to walk in the ways of God. I don't know about you, but my life got incredibly better after I surrendered to Jesus. I, I had life without Jesus and with Jesus, all right? It's like without him, with him, right? And so I, I found so much life. My marriage wouldn't be here today without Jesus. Uh, we wouldn't have kids. Our firstborn daughter, Brighton, she was a miracle. Uh, they wanted to go in and actually abort her because uh, she was stuck in mama's little fallopian tubes, and they said, this is going to be an ectopic pregnancy. It's going the, the, to rupture, and it could kill Fawn. What do you guys want to do? And I said, well, we want to pray before you go in there and abort my baby, the, our, you know, our, our Brighton. And so we prayed, and Jesus showed up and moved, and my Brighton is 15, almost 16 years old, sitting in the front row today. And she's getting so beautiful and looking so much older, I literally want to walk outside and just light myself on fire. But, um, but I won't do that until next 4th of July. Matthew chapter 9. <laughs> Read with me. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, somebody asked me uh, recently, uh, what's a good translation to buy? I'm looking at the NIV or the NLT. And uh, first off, the best Bible is the one that you actually open and read and you let it read you. Uh, but, uh, but there are some different translations that I recommend. NIV is a great one. Um, NLT is a great one as well. ESV is phenomenal. Uh, the Message Bible, somebody said, what do you think of that translation? And I said, well, first off, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. So when I get up on a Sunday and I share a scripture and then I tell you a little bit about what that scripture is saying, that's really what the Message Bible is saying, but I love it. Uh, it was written by Eugene Peterson. We're not exactly relatives, but possibly, we don't know. But uh, Matthew chapter 9, if you're with me, say yeah. All right. And if you're not, too bad. It's on the screen. As Jesus was walking along, verse 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, he said. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Easy, Matthew. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I've come to call, I've come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I titled this message, Dinner with the Doctor. The doctor is in the house. And so here's Matthew. I just want to give you a little bit of the backstory on him. So obviously he's a tax collector, but he's Jewish. And so I, I, I just want us to understand for a moment, if you could go with me, just go back in time to the days of Jesus, and here's Matthew. And he was born Jewish, and here he is, he's working for Rome, collecting taxes, which was not a profession that anybody liked. Nobody likes paying taxes, okay? Especially when you're extorting your own people, all right? 
And so the, the, Rome, the Romans had taken over this area, and the Jewish people are doing their best to kind of live peaceably and make the best out of a, a really rough time. And some of the Jews, they called them uh, turncoats at that time. In, in our modern-day vernacular, you know them as a turncoat. But they literally, like, turned their back on their people and would go, and they'd collect whatever they wanted to collect. And as a tax collector, this is the way that it happened. You would have to outbid somebody else. You would say, basically, to Rome, you would apply to extort your own brothers and sisters, and you would basically go and you'd say, hey, Rome, how much money do you want to get in this area? And where Matthew was was in Capernaum, uh, near the Sea of Galilee. And so Rome had a fixed number that they wanted to be able to get from the population that was in, in that area. Around the Sea of Galilee total, there was about 250,000 people. This is just one little area. And so, so you, as the tax collector, the guy that wanted to be the tax collector, Rome would say, okay, um, we're going to start the bidding, and we want to collect whatever, a couple million dollars, inflation, a couple million dollars uh, from this little town. Who, who's going to vouch for that? And you would Sign your name on that. So if you didn't collect that, guess who they're coming to? They're coming to your house, door to door. <laughs> so they're coming to your house. And so as a tax collector, whatever you bid, man, Rome's coming after you. You better deliver. So what did the tax collectors do? They delivered. And they took it to you. And so they set up their tax booth. And their tax booth in Matthews would have been set up on the Sea of Galilee, probably near the town of Tiberias, which is a beautiful spot there near Capernaum. And, um, and he would have set it up probably at the lake near the docks, or it would have been on one of the main streets coming into town. And he would sit there, and he'd be like, Dylan, bro, you need to pay up. You owe, you, we're still waiting on $5,000. You told me last week you'd have it. You don't have it. If you don't pay me within the next few days, I'm sending the Roman soldiers to your house. You got to pay it up. And he'd go to his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he would tell them this, that, and the other. You need this. And he could make up whatever number he needed to make up because as long as he <laughs> paid Rome what was due, he got to keep the rest. And so here he is. He turned his back on his own people. He's working for the Roman government, which is not well-liked. Uh, and him and his constituents would go door-to-door -door if they had to. <laughs> Sound familiar? They would go door-to-door -door if they had to uh, for you to pay the piper to collect on what they wanted to collect on. And he could charge you whatever. So there's two things that were happening there. You'd have some people, they were like, I want to be best friends with this guy, Matthew. Even though I think he's a punk for what he's doing, I kind of want to get in good with him so that I have to pay as little as possible. Okay, that created a bit of a mafia, okay? And then there's some people that just were like, I hate this guy, I can't stand it, but if I speak out about, about it, Matthew's gonna take it as hate speech and he's gonna charge me more. So you had to be careful with this guy. So they were not well liked, these tax collectors. So here's Matthew at his tax collecting booth. Now he was probably, historians put him in his early 20s, and as a tax collector, he's making pretty good money and he ain't having to work too hard for it other than basically coming and barking at you. And so every year that they would, they would give a bid for how much that they would give Rome, and he would say, well, I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to collect about two million, and Rome's like, that's good. Somebody else could outbid you, though. He could say, I, I'm gonna do 2.3 million. 
Uh, oh, man. Well, Matthew, if you can't come to the table with more than $2.3 million, we're going to have to choose your, bro- your brother, Bartholomew, or whoever it was, right? And so that's Matthew. So Matthew's a tax collector, and he's sitting in his tax booth. And I just want you to think of this. He's getting up every day. He's Jewish by birth. In fact, the, his Hebrew name was Levi. That's what the other Gospels call him, Levi. And every day he would get up as Jewish by birth, has got Jewish blood in his veins, but he would go and he would sit at this tax booth, taxing, doing things that, as his own words, because he wrote the book of Matthew, he described as uh, sinful, the sinners. And so he's there, and he begins to become defined by what he did. Nobody likes him. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. All right. He got defined by what he did. And there's certain things in our life that if we allow it to, what we do for a living, it can start to define us. Pastoring, somebody's ever pastored, it can define you. It can define you if you let it. What you do for a living, where you work, how you live, the lifestyle you have or the lifestyle you don't have. Riches or poverty, we can allow that stuff to define us. One of the questions that I have is if God took something away in your life, would you be okay with it? Would you be okay with it? And if, and whatever that thing is, and if you're, you're not okay with it, then you're most likely finding your identity in it. And if you're finding identity in it, if you're finding identity in anything other than Christ, then that thing's become an idol that you've put up that comes between you and God. So where are you sitting today? What booth is defining us today? He, he worked that booth every day. He walked into it of his own free will, and at the end of the day, I got enough money in my bag, and away he'd go. But he would be at that booth morning, noon, and night sometimes to be able to collect on people. So he's despised, he's rejected, and then one day, Jesus comes walking up on the scene. And I just, I just got to picture this because Jesus has been, that, that was his home base. Capernaum, that was like his lake house. It was like his favorite spot. You know, he, he, he loved, people say, you know, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, Jesus is like, I can't even do miracles in my own town because they just look at me of the carpenter's son. They don't even really listen to what I have. I come over here to Capernaum, to the lake house, and there's miracle after miracle after miracle. Why? The atmosphere of expectation is the breeding ground for the miraculous. When he showed up, and be able, began to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, people started to listen, and as they would come, he would see a physical need that they have, and he would heal them physically, and it would open up the door for them to hear and receive spiritually. That's one of the beautiful things with healing. When people need healing, I'm all for it. I've seen so many people touched by the healing presence of God that weren't even saved, and it opened them up to be able to receive from the Lord. My buddy David, who's sitting on the front row, told me a, a testimony this morning about praying for this young man that was stung by a, uh, a stingray. And uh, he prayed, the, the, the doctor had told him it was so severe that it, he was going to have pain there for about six months. Six months. David said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to pray and watch Jesus heal you. And three days later, he gets a call from the young man. The young man's like, you wouldn't believe it. I've been healed. David's like, awesome, you need to go pray for people. And so that young man then goes and prays for people, and then they started getting healed. And they started coming to Jesus. 
That's what healings do. That's how it opens up. That's how God seems to move at different times. And so here's Jesus, and he walks up into the scene, and there's Matthew. Now, he had heard clearly about some of the miracles that had, that had been going on. He probably heard about the paralytic guy uh, that, got, that got miraculously healed. He'd heard about demons getting cast out of people. He's he- hearing about this, and, and a few times, Jesus probably walked by his booth with his group of growing disciples, growing followers, and Matthew was just sitting there watching as Jesus walked by. And it's a seed. It's a seed that got planted. And then one day, Jesus is walking by, and as he's walking by, he stops, and he looks at him, and he has a conversation with Matthew, and he just basically says, come follow me, be my disciple. Matthew stops what he's doing. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't, he's not like, peace, I'm out of here. I can't stand working for you people anyway. The rabbi picked me, I'm out. Like, you know, I'm done with this. You know, he didn't say anything. He just got up and just started, all right, following Jesus. Here we go. I love that. I, lo- I love the picture of that, that he just dropped whatever was going on to follow Jesus. I don't know about you, but when Jesus showed up in my life, I, I had some stuff. I, I, I was kind of like Matthew sitting there watching, waiting, and the Messiah was going by. I felt like the Lord sent me this person and this person and that person, and all these different Christians were coming across my path. I was 20 years old. I was a single dad, which means I was not married, <laughs> okay? And I'm trying to figure out my life. I'm filled with shame and guilt and pride and everything else. And, and I'm just meeting these different people. And now I grew up Catholic, okay? So any y'all like getting excited and worshiping or clapping like that would have been crazy weird to me, okay, growing up, okay? i just be honest with you. It would have been wild. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yep, it was, okay? You know, that's okay, come back. It'll, it'll even be more so next week, you know? <laughs> so here I am, and, and it seemed like I was meeting every single Christian. It was like suddenly... It was like every customer that I was helping at the bank that I was working out seems like they're all Christians inviting me to their church. And, you know, they're writing Jesus loves you on their deposit slip and stuff like that. And you're just going like, gosh, would you tone down the moxie on Jesus? You know, like, could you just, it's good. Can you just keep Jesus in your heart? (laughs) You know, like, why does he have to, you know? And so here I am, and it seemed like one after another. And then I got to the end of myself. I'm sitting there like Matthew was at my tax collector booth, right, working at the bank. And suddenly I'm like, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to find a church. I'm going to find a church. I don't know what that was. That was the Lord. He's, put, he's calling you. I'm, I said, I'm going to go find a church. And so I started looking for a church. And I went to a few churches, God bless them, but I felt a little bit of a social stiff arm when I came walking in as a single dad. And, uh, and I just didn't find a place that made me feel like at home. And then I went to this one church. And I walk into the church, and I kid you not, all those crazy Christians that were my customers at the bank, they all went to church there. I'm like, and they were, they were, I, they, they were a little odd, but man, in their delivery, but they were super nice people. And I walk in there, and they're like, Jeff? And you're like, I feel like the new guy. You know, it's like... I feel like I'm 10 years late for prom, okay, like I don't belong, you know. And so here I am, and I walk in to the church, and, and I, I went up and I met with the pastor afterwards, and that guy, Pastor Joe Parker, 
he treated me like a son. He took me in. He loved on me. He didn't try to give me a bunch of rules and regulations and you need to do this. Didn't ask me what kind of movies I was watching. All he wanted to do was just hear my story and encourage me in Jesus. Which is the simplicity, as Jason shared earlier, the simplicity of our mission as a church is love God, love people, and live authentic. My first pastor, Pastor Joe Parker, he did that for me. He loved me right where I was at. So Jesus rocks up on the scene and he says, Matthew, come follow me. And then we read in in verse 11, it says, but when the Pharisees saw this, or excuse me, verse 10, so then later Matthew invites Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Now we don't know if this is that same day. He's like, I quit, I got no income, you want, I'm going to throw a party. <laughs> you know, We don't know if it was the same day, if it was the same week, or the same month, but it was shortly thereafter. Matthew invites Jesus and his disciples, in verse 10, to his home as dinner guests. So he throws a dinner for them. And what does Matthew do? He invites over all his tax-collecting friends and other disreputable sinners. That's what Matthew, this is, this is Matthew writing the Gospel of Matthew. So he, he's literally giving his account of Jesus and all of his miracles and everything he did. And then he kind of sneaks in there, just his little story, the tax collector, Matthew. He just kind of slips it in here in chapter 9 about his own conversion. And I love that. I, lo- I, love, I love how he personalizes it. He's like, tells us, he's like, dude, I was a disreputable sinner. Like, I was bad, you know. I was a tax collector, and everywhere is like tax collector sinner, tax collector sinner. So Matthew's just throwing his, yep, I was. And look at what God did. Look at what he's done in my life. And so Jesus goes and they, they have a party. And there's all these dudes there. And I love the fact that Jesus, like he floats in those elements so smoothly. Like if, if, if we as Christians can't be in situations with non-Christians, I'm telling you, we're missing something in the beauty of Jesus. It's so, it's so fun with my wife and I when we go out and we meet people and then people discover, they're like, oh, you guys are Christians? Like, what? Yeah. And they're like, you're pastors? You know, I don't know how to take that when they say that. Like, you know, I'm like, what, what is it? You know, is there a look or something that I'm missing? You know, what is it? You know, they're like, you're pastors? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And you be able, begin to share what Jesus has done in your life and just let that be and trust that the Lord's working on their heart and however he's going to work on their heart. So he rescues Matthew. Matthew's the tax collector. Sinful man, as he describes himself. Can I just say, sin is taxing. If you've ever lived in sin, done anything wrong, sin, where you feel that separation, you feel that desperation, man, sin is so taxing. It can be fun for a moment, quite honestly. It can be fun for a moment. Let's be honest, right? Sin could be fun for a moment, but after that, oh man, the regret, it's taxing. It's taxing on your mind, your soul, sometimes taxing on your body. Sin is taxing. I love this quote, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. And that's the truth. Everybody would say, yep, amen to that. That's the truth. It does. And so Matthew, here he is, he writes his own story, slips his own story into his gospel. And I, and, and, and I love how he does it because there's really, there's three ways that you can present 
Scripture. You, you, you can present Scripture with the Bible behind you. That's one way. And that's where the Bible is kind of a piece of your life, but it's not the forefront of your life. You can present Scripture three ways. The Bible behind you, the Bible in front of you, or the Bible beside you. Let me outline this for a second. The Bible behind you is um, somebody that says, you know, I had a hard day yesterday. My, my daughter uh, spilled uh, some milk all over our car, and I had to clean it up. But, you know, life is messy sometimes. Here's a scripture about how life is messy. That's the Bible behind you. Uh, it's basically focusing on you, uh, your brilliance, your accolades, whatever, and here's a scripture to support that. That's, that's, the, that's the Bible behind you. Then there's the other way, which I don't think is the best way, but it's a little bit of a step up maybe, and that's the Bible in front of you. And it's the person that's like, well, the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, and they miss the connection because they're so focused on telling you what the Bible says that they don't take a moment to just get to know you. And then it's just that Bible thumper, right? That, that, and we don't want that either. But the best way, and I believe the most Christ-like way, is the Bible beside you. And that's where you read, you read the Bible and it's like, this book says this, let me tell you what it did to me. I opened it up and then he opened me up to things. The more I read it, the more it read me. I simply turned the pages and then it was like he started turning my heart. And, and, and the Bible, you know, we forget sometimes, but the Bible is the only book that's out there that's actually still breathing. There's, there's actually life on the words of God. If you, people say, it's hard to hear, I haven't heard the voice of God. Open up the Bible, read it aloud. Declare it over yourself aloud. When you do that, you've literally heard the word of God spoken over you. And you read the Bible, just as this like pro tip here, read the Bible, whatever your Bible reading plan is. There's a million of them that are out there. You can find one that suits you. But whatever that is, you read the word of God in the morning, until you get that rhema. You read the logos until you get the rhema. The rhema is, man, God spoke to me about this. At our men's Bible study, that's one of the things that we do uh, on Wednesday mornings. We just take a chapter of scripture and uh, over breakfast, uh, and, and we just read that chapter. So we're in Colossians. We're in the book of Colossians. We just wrapped up Colossians 4 last week, and we literally just read it and I took verse 1, then he took verse 2, and verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. And we go around until we've read all of the scriptures. And then we pause and we just ask the question, what, what stood out to you? What would you read again? I'd read this, that, and the other. Why would you read it again? Man, man, you know, that actually applies to my marriage. As crazy as that sounds, I feel like that could apply to my marriage. How so? And then they share how it applies to their marriage. And then we simply just pray it over Pray, pray that prayer over them. And it's, it, for those of you that are wondering, like, what's, what's a quick remembrance of that? It's called the SOAP method of Bible study. It's SOAP method. Some guy, uh, James Morocco, a pastor out in uh, Hawaii, uh, came up with it. But it basically is SOAP is an acronym, S-O-A-P. It's a scripture. O is observation. A is the application. And then P is the prayer. So I read the scriptures. I observe this. I, I can apply it. This applies to my life, my situation, my marriage, my relationship, my finances, my job, blah, 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 whatever it is, the application, and then, all right, now I'm going to pray this over my life. 
And so as that becomes more of a habit, then you begin to experience God. And that's what happened with, with Matthew. He experienced Jesus in such a way that he wanted to invite all of his friends over to meet him. He's like telling Jesus, I'm, I could just picture the scene. This is my own thoughts on it. I'm sure he's walking with all these guys. And now, mind you, Matthew's not the most popular guy, okay? He was a tax collector in Capernaum where Peter, Andrew, James, and John all went fishing. So they fished. So they probably paid their taxes to Brother Matthew, okay? And so now they're in the crew together. And one interesting fact, despite his background with finances, notice he was not put over the finances. Judas was, <laughs> right? So here's Matthew, and he becomes part, and he, I could just see him probably telling him, you guys, you think I'm bad? <laughs> Wait till you meet my friends, <laughs> you know? So he invites all of his other buddies, the tax collectors, the deplorable sinners. He invites them over to his house, and he has a party. And so they're eating there. They're hanging out with Jesus. Jesus is having a good time. And then in verse 11, it says, But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with scum? My first thought was, how did the Pharisees get in the room? Like, who invited them? You know? Like, get out of here, you know? It's that religious spirit. Anybody ever been around a religious spirit? The religious spirit is the, is the person that's saying, uh, church is over, hey, uh, but uh, Pastor Jeff, I saw some of the kids, they were climbing on the pews. Okay, well, I don't want them to climb on the pews, but, you know, kids will be kids. All right, yeah, all right, that's fine. But, you know, I had a guy one time tell me in church, he's like, this is the house of God, and there is no reverence here amongst the youth. I was the youth pastor, <laughs> so they love to come and complain to me. I'm like, oh, okay, well, did you go tell their parents? <laughs> you know, like, step off, brother. I'm doing the best I can. I can't watch all y'all kids, you know. By the way, I'm only like 22, okay. Chill out. So here's, here's Matthew, and he's got all of his buddies together, but the Pharisees show up. And they don't go to Jesus. They don't, they don't have the guts to go to him. Most of the religious spirits doesn't have the guts to go to the person in charge. They usually kind of start whispering over here, try to bring division over there, and they're talking negative Nelly and judgmental Judy over here. I mean, you know, they just start talking amongst themselves. So they grab one of the disciples. And they're like, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And I love it. Jesus hears this. And he's like, step off. And he comes, uh, he, he, like he inserted himself in that conversation quick, man. If you're in sin, if you got something going on in your life, Jesus wants to step right into that situation and shut those voices up. He wants to stop that, and he does that. So he, he jumps up into the scene there. When Jesus heard this, verse 12, he said, yo, he says, healthy people, they don't need the doctor. Sick people do. Matthew writes this. He goes, yep, I'm sick. You know, Matthew writes this, yep. Now, he's not tired. Nobody had a cold. We don't have any mention in scriptures that somebody had a cold or a fever. We do hear about Jesus healing uh, Peter's mother-in-law because she was sick, sick, sick in her body, Jesus is referring to the sick and the soul. He says the healthy people, Pharisees, the healthy people don't need the doctor. It's the sick people that do. 
And then all the tax collectors in there, they're like, dilly dilly, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they're like, great, you know. Let me phrase it a different way. Sick people sounds too harsh. Am I sick? Are you a sick person, Jeff? <laughs> you know, unwell. <laughs> That's a little bit more politically correct. Unwell. Are you unwell in any area of your life? You know, do you have discomfort? You know, I love it when, when, my, when my wife was having babies, you know, and, and they just, we, they came in like dozens, you know, with the Peterson family. But uh, we have a total of, uh, of, of, of five kids. And she's, she's having kids, and they'd be like, do you feel any discomfort? You know, it's like pain. You know, for me, anybody, the time the doctor says, do you feel discomfort here? I'm like, ow, yeah, that's pain, you know. Like, don't touch me there, you know. And so, unwell. Is there any area of your life where maybe you go, you know what, I'm kind of unwell in this area. The good news, the doctor's in the house, and he wants to heal you. And his name is Jesus. And he just loves honesty, authenticity. Matthew is writing his own story. He says, man, I'm a tax-collecting sinner. That's who, I, that's who I've been. Jesus rips into the Pharisees, and then he adds this in verse 13. He says, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. That's exactly how Jesus said it, too. He said it condescendingly. I'm kidding. He said, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not out for sacrifices. So he shares this scripture that they know, which we'll get into in a second. And then he tells them, for I've come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. Not that you're going to live in sin, not that we're going to stay there. He's not saying camp out there. He's not saying you're defined by that. He's just saying those that know something's wrong. I, I have an okay marriage, but if I'm honest, I'm kind of unwell in this area. Uh, I drive a nice car, but if I'm honest, I feel kind of unwell in a certain area of my life. And we make great money, live in a great house, but if I'm honest, I'm kind of unwell in this area of my life. I know things look great with my wife and my kids, but if I'm honest, I know that I'm unwell in this area. Is there anybody else that has ever felt unwell in a certain area? And Jesus comes in. And so what does he do? He quotes them a scripture out of the prophet Hosea. Hosea 6, verse 6 says this, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. In other words, he's saying, I want, I want you to walk in mercy. I show mercy, I want you to walk in mercy. It's interesting, of all scriptures Jesus could have pulled, and most of the time he would pull stuff out of Isaiah, if you go and read through, but of all times, ripping the Pharisees, he chose Hosea. Hosea, the name Hosea, the prophet's name, actually means salvation. Hosea, if you're not familiar with this prophet in the Old Testament, this guy had a rough gig. To give a picture to the people of Israel who were one day living for God and the next prostituting themselves, he had Hosea go and actually marry a woman and take her as his wife who was a prostitute. And it was this picture of this cycle of I failed, I need help, 
I need recovery and redemption. And then her, her name was Gomer. I mean, it, it's like double whammy. For anybody that's named Gomer, I'm so, sorry. <laughs> you can legally change your name in the state of California if you wanted to. But so here she is, Gomer, married to Hosea. And she, she got married to him, but then she would be unfaithful. She actually bore him children. But then afterwards, she'd leave the kids and she would go and serve as a prostitute. And Hosea the prophet would time and time again, um, it's my wife, can you, can you leave her alone, please? Can you pick her up? Can you carry her back? Bring her back home? Can you love on her? Can you remind her who she is? Honey, we're married. You're my wife. And then life would get going. There she'd go again. Walks away from him. And then he'd have to go again. Excuse me, sir. Sorry. Guys, can you get out of the way, please? And he'd come and he'd get his wife. He'd say, she's mine. Can you just leave her alone? And he'd pick her up. And he'd walk her back. Bring her back to his house. Lay her back in his bed. And say, honey, I love you. You don't have to live this way anymore. Time and time again, he would go get her. And it was a picture of the redemptive love of God. So of all scriptures, Jesus could have quoted, sitting with tax collectors and sinners after Matthew decided to go all in and become a follower. Jesus shoes off all those religious people that said you're not good enough, you're not talented enough, you're not smart enough, you're not holy enough. He says, get out of here. These are, my, these are my guys. And he quotes Hosea. This morning we're going to have a time of communion. Communion is a beautiful moment where we come and we partake of the, the bread and the juice. And it's representative of Jesus' body that was broken and his blood that was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins, my sin, your sin. It's Jesus calling out saying, hey, I'm, I'm showing you mercy. I don't want you to walk out. I don't want you to try to serve a penance for your sin. You can't do it on your own. I just want you to receive the free gift that I've given you. And Jesus is walking into this room like Hosea walked into the room and grabbed his wife. Jesus is walking into this room and he's grabbing you. And I just felt like as I prayed for you guys, I prayed for this moment today, I just felt like he just wanted to walk in the room and carry you back home today. So I'm going to have the band come and join me up front. And as they play, I just want you just to Take a look in your own heart. Just take a moment and say, Lord, is there anything there? Is there any area of my life where I'm unwell? Lord, would you just renew a right spirit in me? The Lord loves you so much. Some of you need to receive that love. He loves you so much. He doesn't want to bring up your past. He doesn't want to embarrass you. He wants to cover you. He wants to show mercy to you. 
Just receive his love today. If you're in a place, maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I, I don't have a good relationship with Jesus. And you feel like in this time that kind of having a moment like Matthew had where Jesus is stopping by your booth today. <laughs> and you want to give your life to Christ, I'm telling you, it is, it is really the best life. But it's not just praying a prayer. It's going all in for Him. It's saying, I'm, I'm done living how I was living. I want you. I want everything that you have for me, Jesus. I just want to lead us in a prayer of salvation. It's not a magic bullet. It doesn't mean everything gets better in life and all troubles go away. But it's the start of the greatest relationship you'll ever have, and that's a relationship with Jesus that's close. So if you don't mind, just repeat this prayer after me. Just pray it from your heart. I'm going to lead us. You can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm unwell. I need your healing. I need your forgiveness. Come into my life today. Wash me clean. Forgive my sins and make me new. Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for calling me. And in this moment, I give my life to you. So Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Fill me with your love, your spirit. And I would live for you all the days of my life and dwell in your house forever. Amen. 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 Is there anybody who might have prayed that prayer for the first time? Or maybe a rededication? today. If so, I just want to personally pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything. I'm just going to personally pray. I just want to be able to pray for you today. All right, family, all family here. Family family day. Everybody's safe. Now I want to invite us to go ahead and stand and we're going to have communion. When you take communion, sometimes you're reflecting on the life that you now have as sons and daughters of God. Other times you're doing business with God and repenting, and that's cool. It's just a moment for you to have a moment with God. So I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward at this time. If you're part of the prayer team, Tony, David, Vaughn, Jason, Nicole, go ahead and come up front on the sides. Thank you. We want to make ourselves available to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, anything at all, we want to be in agreement with you. You need prayer for healing. We want to stand with you and pray that you would be healed. We had a woman that came on Wednesday night, and and I, I just felt that somebody had some sciatic nerve thing going on, and she, she prayed for it, but she was getting prayer for something else, and she got home and texted my wife and I and said, hey, by the way, I was healed. <laughs> you know, so thanks for telling me. It's good to know. If you need prayer for healing, I want to pray for healing. 
there's healing in your heart that you need. We want to pray for that. If you need financial breakthrough, if you're like up against the wall financially, you're like, man, I need to see a breakthrough here in my finances. I'm telling you what, we have seen miracle after miracle with people getting blessed. Things coming back to them. Surprises. I mean, just blow your mind. But the most important thing is that you're right with God. That you're right with God. Whatever is in your life, that you're right with God. That's the goal of the Christian life is just that unbroken fellowship with Him. We're right. We're good. As we follow after Him. So I'm going to pray over us. And then Kara's going to sing and we're going to take communion. And whenever you want to take communion, it's just you. It's just between you and God. You do business with Him. But essentially, you're taking the bread, and that bread represents the body of Christ. And you're remembering that His body was broken for me, that He died for me, for my sin. And make it personal for you, whatever that looks like for you. And then you're drinking the juice. The juice is the cup. The cup that that we drink, it reminds us that His blood was shed. The penalty of sin had to be paid with blood. That's why His blood was shed. And he, he called it the cup of the new covenant. That the old, the old covenant was there. It was a new covenant. It was a new, it was a new relationship that he was forming with his people. So I just want to invite you today. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you for your word today, God. Thank you, thank you for calling us the way that you called Matthew. That you used those men and that calling and that moment, God, that you invested in those young men and those young men went and touched other lives and those lives touched other lives and we're standing here today as a result of people that laid down their life and took up their cross and followed after Jesus that we're literally here in a building in Costa Mesa in 2021 worshiping you because all throughout history people passed the baton from one generation to the next and God I'm grateful for all of them but Jesus most of all for you Jesus thank you for for your forgiveness Thank you for your mercy that you took what you didn't deserve so that we could get what we don't deserve, everlasting life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us in this moment and that we'd have a spirit that's renewed and right with you. The Holy Spirit, come and fill this time as we pray and take communion today. Amen. Go ahead and come forward communions both sides up right underneath the uh, monitors for you for more information on authentic church visit us online at authenticoc.com